All right, if you got Bible with me this evening, let's go to Ezra chapter 1. Ezra 1. Ezra is in your New Testament. If you go to the book of Psalms, hang a left, just in case you're new to your Bible and stuff. And by the way, I would remind you quickly, do not assume people know where to begin and what to start when they come to Christ. Do not presume that they're going to find their way. Those who lead people to Christ and don't ever do any follow-up or find somebody who will follow up. Uh, it's a tragedy. It's a travesty. Uh, but having said that, the Bible is the book. It's the, the book, not a book. I hold it in my hand. I've got, a, I've got a copy of the Bible, the Bible, my King James Bible I've got right here. And there's always going to be a contrast between the natural and the spiritual. That's why there's one book that's of God. And it has history in it. It has opinions in it that, that are not God's opinions. God recorded opinions that were not His to let us know. It was not God's will. It was not God's uh, design for Lucifer to say, I will ascend and I will be like the Most High God. That wasn't a godly ambition. And yet it's recorded. Before Jesus Christ came was 4,000 years that we know of from the time they came out of the garden by tracking the, the years people lived and etc., I will remind you that Bible chronology is good, but that when Paul warned Timothy to beware of endless genealogies, he was talking about chronologies, not just your family tree. He was saying beware of chronology because that's how we track things in time and in the Bible, by people's lifespans. That's why to this day when uh, you go to the cemetery, when you go to uh, look at someone's obituary and stuff, it's going to have their beginning and their end. And you're going to look at people's lives, but who they overlapped, etc. I'll say that, that the 4,000 years of the Old Testament was, was also spiritual versus a natural. This is why all the way back in Genesis 6, the events leading up to the flood, he said, my spirit shall always strive with man. This is why in Psalm 51, David speaks of the internal things going on in his heart after his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, the Hittite. And Nathan coming and, and, and doing that. It, it, it's all about the spiritual side of life. And the Apostle Paul, when he wrote in his epistles, wrote multiple times, and he would say, as it is written, as it is written. Well, he is referring to the Old Testament. The New Testament was not settled, penned, etc. at that point. Keep in mind that every copy they, they had of the Old Testament was preserved by hand, and for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in the New Testament, it was copied by hand. If you wanted to doubt the Scriptures, it would be quite easy to do. It would be very easy to doubt the Scriptures if you wanted to. Why is that? Well, because of the manner in which they were preserved. You see, if you don't, if you don't understand, and this is not my subject tonight, but it is a little, if you don't understand that in order to have the inspired Word, you have to have preserved words has have been preserved and i said that to say that there are two important things in life there's comparisons and there's contrast and so god his will for israel was a limited land this is not going into anything geopolitical or anything but it would help you understand that the main contrast between us and the old testament God's people, Old Testament, Israel, New people, New Testament, it's the church, the people of God, okay, the bride of Christ. 
The biggest difference was this. They had a physical land and he limited them to it. Read your Bible and understand. He didn't say you can conquer any part you want. He said, this is what I want for you. If you will live in that land and, and follow me and love me, I'll take care of you. But when we come to the book of Ezra, what has happened is they had been taken out of the land and they're in what's called captivity. They're in captivity because they had slacked off, even really denied the Lord as their God. The Lord as their sovereign. So God said, I care so little about things and your comfort that I'm going to let them destroy Solomon's temple, the most magnificent thing ever built up to the time of Solomon in 1000 BC. And so here we are at about 500, 535 BC before Christ, 535 years before Christ, about 500 years after Solomon. It's a great way to learn your Bible, the abouts, and not get hung up on little tiny year here and year there. That's what he meant when he said don't get hung up on endless genealogies, trying to figure out the exact year. We have a joke around the place. The joke is, if you are, 20, uh, if you are 29 years old and you've had your 29th birthday, you're now in your 30th year. You know that to be true. You, you're not one year old until your first birthday. But once you hit that first birthday, what year are you in? Your second year. That's why genealogies, you don't want to try to divide it down. A person could have their birthday on Monday, but on Friday they might be writing something about them and say they were in their second year. Well, they are in their second year. You've, only, you've fulfilled one already. You're not in your first year. You were in your first year until you hit one year old. So if you're 69 years old, you're in your 70th year, etc. <laughs> now, for us, the church, the people of God, the Gentiles who get saved in the New Testament, we're sent into all the world. So the way Israel was to settle in the land, but their real test was their worship of God, so it is with us. God isn't interested in us when it comes to physical things. We have a building we're using. Praise the Lord. you got a parking lot. Praise the Lord. But that's not a test of the work of God. But in the Western world in which we live, and here in the United States of America, it's so easy to fall into the trap to thinking that that's what a church is, that it's buildings and land, and of course the people that come. We would never forget that, but it's like an organization. And there's a, there's a, a picture in Ezra chapter 1 I want to point us to today. Now, let me say this in a way of introduction, that for Ezra, who comes along around 450, about, seven, about 80 years after this starts in Ezra chapter 1, there's about 80 years where they go out and they're starting to relay the foundations of the temple. Around 450, 455 in that area, comes along Ezra to restore the worship and the temple and Nehemiah to restore the walls. Nehemiah is where we get the great phrase building and battling that we've heard some great preachers of years gone by who are home with God preach. Now, 
If we can get our pictures right, the as it is written right, a picture is worth a thousand words. So if you'll get the picture with me, I won't be here for a full hour. We'll try to make it less. That's a joke. But here's the deal. God's will for Israel was this limited land and worship. God's will for the church, the bride of Christ, the Christians in this age, called the church age, the New Testament, is the whole world. Ezra is going to restore worship. These people are going to lay the foundation of it. And so it starts with these people. I'm going to look at three words in the passage this evening for a moment. But we must get our hearts and minds into it that that what they're redoing is going to restore worship. I am thankful that when I come to Christ 50 years ago, God saw fit to put me in a place where I early on as a Christian was exposed to and saturated in what we call old-time religion, O-L-E. Not old, not old-timer. And, and let me say this to you. Everyone thinks that somehow you're supposed to take and, and modernize Christianity. That is the furthest thing from the truth. If you want to know how to do your Christian worship, if you want to know how to do your Christian service, your Christian preaching, stop and boil it down to, what would I do without all this electricity? What would I do without all this blooming media? What would I do that they've done for 2,000 years and they are doing in most of the world today? See, it's not some a little tiny part of the world that doesn't have all this junk we've got. It's most of the world doesn't have it. It's been my lot in, life to liter- lot in life to literally go around the world, be in multiple, multiple places, spend time in it, not just visit it. It's great to visit. That's a wonderful thing. But when it comes to living in a, in, on so-called mission fields, it's totally different because you understand that that is the actual way of life of most people on the face of the earth. And it's the way that it was in the first century. We, you know, we need that rugged nature of first century Christianity today. Uh, if I could, I would take away all your electronic stuff when you came into church in the sense of get you a Bible, carry it, mark it. Because if you live long enough, and you may very well, I'm just telling you, electricity is going to be gone. All this communication, it's going to be gone, especially in America. We're going to be one of the first places to lose it at any rate. So... I'm thankful that I was exposed to it. You say, well, what do you mean, old-timer? I'm talking about believing the Bible. Hearing it preached and taught. Lively, fresh. I'm talking about those hymns that you're in your hymnal there because of this. I had an old-timer teach me something once. I grew up in that rock and roll age. Plus, before that, obviously, I grew up in my parents' homes. And uh, my dad had a wide, you know... Uh, taste of music. There was jazz in the home and all kind of stuff. And and I had a preacher take me aside my very first year I was saved. And I was with him traveling and doing some preaching. And he said, he said, let me give you a hint about the future. Little did he know in 1974, 50 years ago, how important this would be. He said, I'm just going to tell you. He said, if you want to test something, he said, take away the words, close your eyes, listen to the music and tell me if it belongs in a, in the house of God. And he said, 
if it reminds you of that rock and roll era, if it reminds you of jazz, if it reminds you of anything other than something super clean and pure, he said, it doesn't fit. He said, now individual Christians may have their place, you know, and home and listen and all that. And I get that. But here's my point, and, and I, this really is important to my message tonight. It's one thing for us to take the gospel into the world, and we, we did, and we should. I did. Been around the world with it. But I lived on mission fields, okay? Not visited them. It's one thing to launch out and go to the other side of the world, especially before all this technology and all this communication and all this, <coughs> excuse me, immediate results. It's one thing to go over there and just take some ho-hum Christianity. I wouldn't have gone if that was the purpose. There's enough people taking ho-hum Christianity and, you know, modern Christianity into the world. There is. Understand, I, I started my deputation in 81. Okay, so I, 1981, not 1881. I don't know if you know old-time religion. If you don't, you've missed out. If you don't know what it's like for people to spontaneous through nothing but just simple singing and simple preaching, get moved by God, and it hasn't ended because now we've got to modernize it. It's ended because of the work of the Spirit of God in people's lives because they've got too much stuff. Thank God we got a sound system we use and all that kind of stuff. But I remember reading this when Joshua and Moses were coming off the mountain. Okay? And Aaron and them had made the golden calf and they're partying in the name of religion. They're worshiping. You read it. Joshua said, Moses, there's the sound of war in the camp. Moses thought that music, he couldn't hear their words that they had, you know, added to try to make it okay. How can hear was the music? Moses said, no, son. Unfortunately, that is not the sound of war. That's the sound of apostasy. Now, here's why I'm saying this. Ezra is trying to take them. First, these people do. And then later, Ezra comes along. And Ezra leads them to restore true worship of God. Built upon, primarily upon, the reading and the preaching and the expounding of the Word of God. That is old-time religion. Ezra's going from captivity and there. What are we doing? Are we only taking the gospel into all the world? Because that doesn't match Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It doesn't match Mark chapter 16. It doesn't match John 21, 20 and 21. It doesn't match it. And the reason it doesn't match it is because he never told them, go out, get a bunch of people saved and leave them to themselves. So missions that I want to talk to you about for just a few more minutes. Missions is more than that. But how does it operate? There's three words in this passage, reading down from verse 1 to 6. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom 
and put it also in writing, saying, I don't know if you've heard this before in business, they tell you, in leadership, they say, if you need to correct somebody, do it verbally, face to face. If you want to praise them, put it in writing. <laughs> okay? In other words, whatever you put in writing is something you're going to stay by. So he writes it. And he's the king of Persia. And those words last. And so thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven, hath given me all the kings of the earth, kingdoms of the earth. He hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. <clears throat> Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem. Would you mark, write down the word go. Go. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, that is, who doesn't go and leave captivity and go into this place that has been abandoned and where there's enemies of God that have tried to take it over and keep it forever. He said, whoever remains, okay, Whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of, his, men of his place help him. So, circle the word go. Circle the world word help. Help him with silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, beside the freewill offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. The picture is over and above, say, tithe and offering for us. Just over and above. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all them whose spirit God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Mark the word again. See it? To go. So he said, so what they did is those whose spirit God had raised up to go. And he said, then rose up the chief of them with all them whose spirit God had raised up to go. And now watch. And all they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, with precious things beside all that was willingly offered. So would you circle the word strengthened? My three words tonight for the next couple minutes are go and help and strengthen. Now, when we begin to think about this, I said earlier, you know, we need a return to the rugged nature of first century Christianity, where people have a book. Listen, the two books that, that Christians have carried for several hundred years, all through what was the Philadelphia church period, and now we are obviously in Laodicea. You take towards the end of the 18, 1800s, some events happened between 1880 and, and the year 1900 that that killed that Philadelphia church spirit. The years of the heyday of, of gospel where it literally went around the world once. By the way, may I say this? Gospel work is continual. It's continual. Let's just say that we read about a place in Europe that had, I mean, salvation swept through there and preaching swept through there. I can tell you this right now. Any place in America or any place in the world that goes 10 years without an active Christian witness and discipleship, it's as if it was never there now. Doesn't mean it was never there. It did, and it had some fruit. But I have been to places, many, many places, that it once did have the presence of God, the witness of God, and people being grounded. Paul spent 
the majority of his life traveling and grounding, he calls it confirming, which is right, making them firm, the disciples. And so when we come to this, this idea, gospel work is continual. <coughs> you say, well, it's gone around the world. It has. And it needs to keep going around the world because, the, yes, there are places they've never... Let me say this to you. Let's say 20 years ago, the gospel was preached in any given place here across the world. In that next 20 years, there were people born who are now 10 years old and 15 years old and 20 years old. And if that gospel wasn't propagated, if it wasn't perpetuated, if it wasn't not just the salvation, but the grounding and the growing, if it wasn't done, you got to start over. That's what these people are doing when they go back to Jerusalem. Some are going. Some are helping them go. Some are going beyond just help, and they're strengthening them. They're arming them for bear, we would say. <coughs> Excuse me. Go. Notice that go is first. So as a Christian, if we look at the parallel, <coughs> go should be the first thing on our mind. Go ought to be the rule to start with and not, well, Lord, if you want me to go, you're going to have to blast me out. Now, I don't mean be impetuous. And I don't mean just run willy-nilly around the world. I don't mean that. And <coughs> not have a you know specific witness and calling. But the willingness, the willingness to go should be the natural rule in the heart of a child of God. You say, well, brother, how can you say that it ought to be the rule? Because if it is, then it's going to be much more likely that if the Lord doesn't say, okay, go to Germany, go to Africa, go to Papua New Guinea. If He doesn't say that, you still start it off with go. So you'll go to your family, you'll go to your friends, you go to your fellow workers, right? You go to the people in your community. We start with go. Go is important. But I want to put it in the context of missions, okay? I'm going to give you a few phrases that I've developed through the years that uh, there's other ways of saying it, but they've, they've helped me and stuck with me a lot. First one is, under go, is it always costs more to go than it does to stay. If you want to understand missions, if you want to understand our upcoming missions conference, okay, if you want to understand that when we have these people in, we got a missionary coming in Sunday night, and then we go Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Saturday's the, the, the picnic. If you want to understand why are we doing this, it's because it always costs more to go than it does to stay. If you want to understand a missionary's budget and their needs, which sometimes they are hesitant and want to uh, communicate because people immediately judge when they hear that amount. If you want to really understand missions, understand it always costs more to go than it does to stay. In Proverbs, when it says, so shall thy poverty come as an, as, so shall thy want come as an armed man and as one that traveleth. Not travaileth. It says travel. It always costs more to go than it does to stay. 
and there might be a one out of a thousand exception someone who lives with a backpack and barely moves around and lives off nothing or lives under a bridge but you know it always costs more to go than it does to stay if you'll get that and put that in your mind you'll understand what it is about missions that's so important and why it gets hindered and it's greatly hindered today praise the lord the church here praise the lord praise the lord that we are totally involved in stuff however however you need to keep in your mind that it always costs more to go than it does to stay with this idea of go then sympathy is no substitute for action for years i've preached and illustrated missions with a lighthouse and lighthouses saved lives for years and years they've automated some of them but I, I promise you if people keep sailing and all this electricity stuff starts going away they're going to have to get back to what it did and it costs somebody's their life to stay on a lighthouse out in an isolated place and sympathy was no substitute for action on this thing of go i'm going to tell you this i've learned this reading biographies watching experience in my life that God scatters His best as seed to be reproduced. God takes His best. Story after story. I could literally take another half hour and be short with it and have to minimize it to give you an example of biographies of people that were very, very good at what they did, at good things, and God said, I need you to go bury that talent by going to the mission field musicians sports people business people people who had the right to inherit stuff. It, the, the list is endless over the last 2,000 years but God scatters his best as a seed now watch to be reproduced see if you want to reproduce first century Christianity remember I said about the rugged nature what about that reckless abandoned the reckless abandoned to which the first century and the second century and the third and to this day around the world people are following God and going and then what about that resilient spirit so go secondly is help 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 through prayer help through provision now he commanded them to help when we get to our third word strengthen there was no command but the king said go if you don't go the command is help help you know why you're supposed to pray i mean pray as if it mattered and provide as if it mattered and now look i'm gonna give you a quick illustration let's just say you i don't care if you're 70 years old or 75 i don't care i don't care if you're 15 years old if god tapped you on the shoulder and said i want you to go to the other side of the world and preach the gospel with your life unless you are independently wealthy and have retirement Unless you are, if you're just the everyday person, say 30 years old or 40 years old, right? You keep praying for young people, for laborers. If you are, unless you are independently wealthy, you have just become poor because here's my definition of poor. Poor is when your need, not your want, folks, not your extra tea time and, you know, and I don't mean sipping a cup of tea, I'm talking about golf, whatever, or your extra fishing trip. When your need is greater than your ability, you are poor. And so many a time, when God tapped me on the shoulder and said, uh, you're willing, right? I said, I am absolutely willing. I'm in. Here am I. Send me. 
Okay, you got to go to the other side of the world. I said, well, Lord, how? How? See, I tried to go. I tried to go as a carpenter, and God shut every door right in my face. Do you know how much easier it'd be to go as a carpenter and work and do stuff? I wouldn't get as much done at ministry work, obviously, but I wouldn't have to go around and ask people to support me. Amen. Or to help. When your need is greater than your ability, you're poor. Another one. The cost of living is not the cost of going and doing. The cost of living is small compared to the cost of going and doing. Because, ready? It always costs more to go than it does to stay. If you will read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 between now and the conference, and you will read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 and understand he's getting offerings and having them store up to help the poor saints at Jerusalem, you will understand why those two passages are the main ones that apply to missions giving in the day we live in. We call it here at the church and many, many hundreds of places, faith, promise, giving. I'm going to throw your word out there to put in there to help you understand the word promise. Because when you read 2 Corinthians 8 9 in your Bible, in your King James Bible, you come across the word purpose. Let him purpose in his or her heart. Think of it as this next, next week. Faith purposed giving. Faith purposed giving. It's not faith promise in the sense of it's a contract and if something comes in your life, uh, you're expected to do it and, or that God's going to ask you, you know, to, to sacrifice something that, he, that are your essentials. He's not going to do that. You might choose to, amen. I have before and I'm happy I did it. But it's not a promise like that. It means faith purposed. I'm purposing in my heart and I'm trusting God to help me do it. It's above my ability 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. This is where we get the idea of faith, purpose, giving. Go. Help. And then he said, verse 6, All they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, gold, with goods, with beasts, with precious things, beside all that was willingly offered. And here's my thought to you. My saying that goes with the word strengthen. Strengthen and supply the work of God as if it was you or yours who were going. I think we should commend Pastor for not pushing to get special more for his grandson, granddaughter-in-law. I commend him for it. He's trusting God. I know guys that would make sure that they had it absolutely better than everybody else on the, on the missions budget. I commend him for that. Why? Because he knows that they've got to be able to trust God. Not because he doesn't care. Not because he doesn't want to. Believe me. So strengthen and supply as if it was you. As if it was you who answered the call and became poor because your need became greater than your ability because it, the cost of living is not the cost of going and it always costs more to go than it does to stay. Intercession. Encouragement. Communication, not to feel better about ourselves, but to give appropriate help and then to go beyond help to strengthen. Do you know, I've been all over the place. I've seen people, I myself have done it, had to get by 
Not much. Even in the way of transportation, when I was in the outback. Okay? But I never thought, oh, somebody else owes me this. But if someone had done something, it would have been a blessing. And I've been places where people were doing the work of God, but it would have been a blessing for them to be strengthened beyond just the budget of help. And I'm not talking about high living. I know, I, listen, I've been places where the missionary was living high on the hog. I've been there. But that's not the average missionary. That's just a, that's just a little tiny percentage. Go. How about you say, Lord, I'm going to make go my first word. You've called me to go. And if you're not going across the street or to the person at work or the person down the block or the person at the grocery store, well, it's not time for you to go around the world. But go is the rule to start with. And if you go to some other place to take the gospel, please take old-time religion. Please don't take a watered-down every day. Many of the pastors in the underground churches in Russia 40 years ago begged the American pastors to stop sending their young people over there on trips because they were bringing a carnal, watered-down, new age, modernized type of worship and ministry with them. And it was tempting their young people to lose the power of God. See, the power of God is more important than what we like. Well, let me say this. Go. Help if you don't go. Help should be a command in your mind. How can I help, Lord? When a person's need is greater than ability, they become poor. We shouldn't dress like we're poor. We should, we should, we, look, I had one suit, literally one suit for years on deputation. But nobody knew I had one. I'm not bragging. I'm telling you, I learned that from the old timers. You would never have guessed it. It stayed pressed. It stayed ready. And traveled the country and the world with it. Why? Because I'm representing the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. I'm going with the gospel, but I want to take old-time religion. Technology will never do what one person taking the gospel to another person will do, ever. Ever. God made it so. Go help and then strengthen. Father, I pray you take these simple thoughts. I know they're simple. Lord, remind these dear people, remind them tonight that we need that rugged nature of first century Christianity. We need the reckless abandon, the resilient spirit of first century Christianity. And may they go, and may they help, and may they strengthen. In Jesus' name, amen.